on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome. What's happening in Mohawk Valley? And on the ESPN apps, you can take us with you wherever you go. That is, and all those are great ways to listen to the program. You can also kind of watch this show on Facebook Live. Hello, everybody on Facebook Live. Give us a like on the ESPN Syracuse Facebook page, and we stream this program in, in the booth with Matt Park and the Daniel Baldwin Show and Orange Nation. You can kind of see what's happening while we do the program via Facebook Live. All great ways to take in the show. Here's how you can participate in the show today. 437-7644. That's the phone number. Brent Axe Media. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. Or you can use the On the Block text line to get in touch at 288-0644. A lot to talk about here after a busy Weekend in the world of sports, alas, your Buffalo Bills did not defeat the Jacksonville Jaguars in NFL playoff action. Because like we all saw coming, Blake Bortles turned into LaShawn McCoy and led the Jaguars to victory. So, Hey, we still got to watch a playoff game yesterday. There's there's a few uh, uh, points of contention, certainly, that I have from that game. But I watched a playoff game yesterday. Beggars can't be choosers. It had been 17 years. And, it, yeah, I wasn't happy with how some things went down. But you can't help but feel good about where the Buffalo Bills are going. going to be a very interesting offseason. I'd like to thank Tyrod Taylor for his days as quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. I think we all saw that come to an end yesterday. So busy, busy times in the offseason for the Bills. And at least we waited a little longer than usual to get into draft talk and free agent talk and rebuilding this team and got to watch a playoff game. So we'll go over that, all the playoff games from the weekend. We'll go on the blind side as we do every Monday after a busy weekend in the world of sports. We'll do some hot takes coming up. Plenty of Syracuse basketball on the table as well. A lot to get into as we press forward here, and that is where we're going to start. Two guests will join us today, by the way. Matthew Fairburn, speaking of your Buffalo Bills, on the beat, will join us in about 15 minutes. We'll recap the game against the Jags and the priorities in the offseason for the Bills, where they could go. They've got some great draft capital, two first-round picks, two second-round picks. Are they going to move up and try and grab a quarterback, sign a free agent? We'll look at it all. We'll also talk to Chris Carlson today. 
from Syracuse.com, get some Syracuse Hoops talk in with Chris, who I think wrote a couple of really good pieces in recent days about particular things about this team, some of which we will get into here. And, yeah, quite an ending, quite a game on Saturday for the Orange, a 51-49 loss to Notre Dame. Tyus wants a screen from O'Shea. It's an inside pick. Battle lost the grip out front. Kevin with a lead feed ahead to Gibbs, ridden by Battle. Gibbs shut off the glass. No, Fluger off. It's a rebound. Put back, yes. Two and a half seconds to go. Notre Dame by two. Out of the backcourt. Howard, half quarter for the win. Air ball. And the Orange lose to Notre Dame. That's Matt Park, of course, on the call on the Syracuse ISP Sports Network. Is heard on TK99, Brostat, and ESPN Radio, AM 1200. And, look, there's a lot to dissect from that game itself. And, you know, there's a play in particular right there. And some people felt that, you know, Syracuse should have called a timeout, set up a play. And I think if you're one of those people, you haven't been watching Syracuse basketball because that's just not something Jim Beheim does. I didn't have a problem with it because if you call a timeout and set up a play, who's going to have the ball in his hands? It's going to be Tyus Battle. It's just unfortunate that Tyus, who had had such a great game, he had hit the three to tie the game. Prior to that, yeah, everybody knows it's going to 25. He yep. brings it up himself this time. Two defenders meet him. A screen for Sadibe. Tyus for the tie. Bang! You knew he would. It's tied at 49. Had some key plays down the stretch with Syracuse's best offensive threat in that game, but just lost the ball. And as Jim Beheim noted today on the ACC conference call, you look at that last play. It was not a lack of effort on the part of Frank Howard and Merrick Dolzhai trailing the play it was more like a mental mistake they kind of went at half speed and look a lot of things are happening in that moment and it was unfortunate but one thing that really was apropos in that moment was Rex Fluger gets the offensive rebound and scores but Saturday was such a weird game because Notre Dame could not hit water if they fell out of a boat I guess more appropriately on Saturday in the bomb cyclone, they couldn't hit ice if they walked outside in central New York. They went one for 14 to start the game. They clearly were in disarray without Matt Farrell out there. We knew Bonzi Colson, of course, wouldn't play, but without Farrell, their point guard, I mean, that was that was a game and that was a team that was there to be had. And Syracuse had the halftime lead, 28-19. to 19. Notre Dame comes out in the second half, quick 8-0 run, And it just became one of these games. For Syracuse, it's going to be one of these games that seems game in and game out because they are, to put it mildly, an offensively challenged basketball team. But Notre Dame grabs 21 offensive rebounds. That is just incredible to think about right there. And, of course, that brought out some remarks after the game about how Syracuse wasn't really the rebounding team we thought they were, at least according to the head coach. Not a good rebounding team. That was a myth. Complete myth. You guys 180 pounds out there. Nobody's really gone to the boards until, except the last two games. And when they did, we had, we cannot rebound down there. Guys, physical guys, they're very physical, and they bang you, and we have trouble with that. Yeah, there's an adjustment that's got to be made there. The fact that they were a good rebounding team was a myth, I mean, they out-rebounded their first 14 opponents. They had the third-best rebounding margin in the country in that stretch, so it wasn't a complete myth. But in the last two games, Syracuse has been out-rebounded 80-56 to 56 to a physical Notre Dame team, as Bayheim mentioned, that didn't even have Colson out there. Wake Forest out-rebounded Syracuse as well. But the interesting thing is, in, in all of these issues, Wake Forest was a game that was there to be had, and they didn't have their best player. 
Notre Dame didn't have their two best players. And it was, you know, still a close game. As much as Syracuse faltered offensively in the second half, they scored a season-low 21 points for a half. And Notre Dame outscored them, I think, 32-21 to 21 in that half. It might be off there a little bit. But this just goes to show you, in league play, these games that are there to be had, that you've got to win and grind out and find a way more often than not. So now you've got a week here, as the great Yogi Berra said, and I wrote this in my recap on Syracuse.com, it's getting late early for the Syracuse basketball team because now you've got Virginia tomorrow, who is now number three in the country. They are the best defensive team in the country. Jim Beheim called Tony Bennett the best offensive, or pardon me, the best defensive coach in the country today. So you got to go to Virginia tomorrow and go in that meat grinder. And then you get Florida State on Saturday, who can score a little bit more, different tempo, different type of team, but they're a top 25 team as well. So if you don't come out of that stretch with a win, all of a sudden you're 1-4 and four in ACC play, and you're a team that teams are starting to figure out here. Notre Dame came into this game and basically said, we're going to let O'Shea Brissett shoot the ball. They let O'Shea shoot the ball. He went three for 15. And he hit three three pointers, which is kind of an anomaly. He's normally not a three point shooter in that sense. So O'Shea's going to have to start hitting some shots. I think that's pretty obvious. Tyus Battle, we mentioned, it's unfortunate what happened at the end of the game, but he was the reason Syracuse was in that game. Frank Howard didn't have as big of an offensive game as usual, but, you know, he's been consistent in three point shooting. The, the, the mental lapse at the end of the game was unfortunate, but look, he's you know a guy who's averaging 15 points per game. He is as important as he's one of the three guys that can score on this team. He's your point guard, and you know, you're going to ride or die with Frank Howard, as much as some people don't want to hear that. And I, I, I just find this funny when I have people that, and I, I understand during the game, emotions are flowing and you, and you say things, and in this case, you type things that maybe you regret. But I get all these tweets from people in these in these comments in the live chat. Oh, put him on the bench. And I'm like, for who? You want Howard Washington in there <laughs> down the stretch in a close game? He's not ready. He's not even close to ready. It'd be one thing if this was a team stocked deep with players. It's not. So you got to ride or die with your key guys, as frustrating as that can be and as frustrating as that can get. So this is a team that we know is offensively challenged. This is a team that, according to the coach, being a good rebounding team was a myth in at least the last two games that's proven to be somewhat true. This is a team that plays good defense, but at times can lapse on defense, as we saw against Wake Forest with the corner threes. So what is going to be the mark of this Syracuse basketball team going forward? What can they lean on when it comes down to it what is their identity? And we have been talking about this throughout, that really their identity was grit, hustle, rebounding, defense, free throw shooting. They don't do the sexy things. They will grind you, which I guess is if you want to look at a, a positive note for this Virginia game, which looks like a, a daunting task, at least Syracuse isn't used to, you know, Jim Beheim said it today, that you play Virginia, teams that score in the 80s will only score in the 60s against Virginia. 
seeing that the Syracuse Notre Dame game was fifty-one to forty-nine, what's this game going to be tomorrow? Who's ready for a forty to thirty-six barn burner? Let's go, baby! But at least Syracuse is a team that's not scoring right now, and it's not like they count on you know fast pace. They're not a fast break team that is going to be completely thrown out of their game playing Virginia. Syracuse knows how to grind a little bit. So what happens is every possession becomes gold. Every possession becomes, you've got to find a good shot. And that's another flaw that this Syracuse team has. Ball movement, half-court offense, it's just not there. So Syracuse is in an interesting spot here because they've got to find what they excel at. They've got to find what they can lean on in ACC play. And you've got to do it against two of the better teams in the league this week and try and at least split that and then just kind of survive as you go here. 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 2880644. Now, there is a couple months to go here, and things can certainly change. There's always room for improvement. But if this team continues on its current pace on the offensive end, they are going to average less than 70 points per game for just the second time in the last 50 years. And I can throw all the stats in the world at you here. It just kind of backs up what you see and what you know in watching this team. But Syracuse is 320th in the country in tempo. They have stats for everything these days. Ken Palm ratings and all sorts of things. Analytics, right? They are in assist ratio. Syracuse assists 50% of their made baskets. It's 235th in the country. It's 12th in the ACC. I mean, I can throw all the numbers at the world at you here. Here's what we know. This team can't score. And if you're going to win games in the ACC, particularly on the road, which you're going to twice against two ranked teams this week, you've got to score. And you've got to sneak out wins. So that's the thing with Wake Forest and Notre Dame. They didn't get the doors blown off there. They were not just, you didn't deserve to be on the court with these teams. You just made key mistakes in key situations. Wake Forest, it was giving up the corner threes. Notre Dame, it was all the offensive rebounds and a play at the end that just didn't go your way. They're right there, at least right now, they're right there. Playing a team like Virginia tomorrow is going to be another big litmus test for the Orange just to see where they are. And, you know, it's an important game. It's a tough game. I think you all kind of write off Virginia, right? But if you can somehow go in there and force them into some mistakes, catch them off guard, like I said, key possessions, make some shots, get Frank Howard open, get a great game out of Ty's battle. But, you know, if I'm Virginia, I'm looking at Syracuse, and I saw what Notre Dame did, and I'm saying, we've got pretty much our whole team. We're the number three team in the country, and we're much better defensively than Notre Dame is. Mike Bray was saying after the game, like, yeah, this rebounding and defense thing, we can get used to this. Virginia, that's what they are. That's what they do. On that note, we will take a break. We'll certainly talk more Syracuse basketball throughout the show. Chris Carlson will join us later. He wrote a really good piece about how Notre Dame defended O'Shea Brissett, and I wonder how many teams are going to at least try and replicate what they did. Not everybody will be able to execute it, but many will try. So we'll get into that later. Hot takes, the blind side, talk about the NFL playoffs, and so much more. Speaking of which, Matthew Fairburn joins us next. Yeah, the Bills lost. They lost to Blake Bortles. It was a dreadful football game. Sorry about that, America. But what it really came down to was not a bad call and not a lot of things that people are are latching on to today. 
came down to the Bills need a quarterback. And that's a truth that we've known all along. We'll discuss that with Matt and much more coming up. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Sure is, voice man. Let's dig in, shall we? We're going to talk some more Syracuse basketball top of the hour and with Chris Carlson next hour. Right now, presented by our friends at Agway Energy Services. Let us do some takes that are of a higher temperature. You know, it is currently 36 degrees in Syracuse, New York, and that feels downright tropical after the bomb cyclone frigid temperatures we have gone through here in recent days. It's going up to like 50 this week. Get out the sunscreen, baby. Let's do it. Hit me with that fancy open. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for Hot Takes on the Block. So how can I put this? Things were a little awkward in the booth. Tennessee, Kansas City. It was John Gruden's last game in the booth with our friend Sean McDonough. And, you know, at one point, Sean McDonough made reference to the fact that Gruden was going to the Raiders. And Gruden basically blew him off and said nothing's official yet when we all knew it was happening. I mean, in the production meetings the night before, everybody, you know, as Sean McDonough lays out here, Everybody said goodbye to him the night before. Thank you, and Coach, as we uh, wrap this one up, all of us last night at our production meeting had a chance to uh, tell you what we think about you and how much you've meant to us and to Monday Night Football. And uh, Thank you. What a great way to send you up, appropriately so. Thank you. Good luck with the it's opening. Been a great run. Thank It'll you. It'll be tough for a lot of us on this crew to be impartial. We go into those production Appreciate meetings you. and see you next year. Thank you. All right, Lisa, take it. Uh, Susie, Susie, take it away. Ten years, $100 million for the Oakland Raiders and John Gruden, which is incredible. But another part of that game, Kansas City's up 21-3. How does Kansas City lose another home playoff game? They have lost six straight playoff games at home, 10 of their last 11. Stop telling me about this overwhelming home field advantage that they have at Arrowhead. I get it's loud. I get the fans are into it. They're great, loyal, passionate fans. I feel bad for the Chiefs fans. But stop telling me about this home field advantage you have. It's You want to talk about a myth? It's a myth. It doesn't exist unless it happens in the postseason. But in that game, did, did you did you hear the, the Peter Brady moment that McDonough had in a call of the greatest play that never counted? 21-3 today, and now the Chiefs really up against it. First and 10, Tennessee, and the ball comes up. And it didn't count. <laughs> Speaking of the voice crack, Gruden <laughs> circled back on that one. Marcus Mariota injured all season long. His teammates never lost their belief. They told him, you're the man, take charge. Sometimes it takes a wacky play to change the course of a game for the season. 
just glad your voice didn't crack that time. Yeah, I was due for one. We were due for a game like this in our two years together, Coach. And what a great way to send you out. Congratulations to the Tennessee Titans and Marcus Mario. There it is, Sean McDonough, John Gruden. Look, I, I look. We love Sean McDonough. We've interviewed him a number of times. He is a terrific person. That booth didn't work. I'm glad that Sean is going to get the opportunity to work with somebody that will work, won't be quite as awkward. It's just it, that booth never flowed. So who's going to get the gig with McDonough in the Monday night booth now? Okay, Rex Ryan? So- you never know. I mean, That's hot. Pretty high on him in Bristol. We shall see about that. Elsewhere in NFL playoff land, look, experience counts. We talked about this on Friday. Atlanta beats the Rams 26-13. to What really stands out to me from that game, the Kansas City game, and every game we watched is how much the officiating continues to aggravate us. And it's not just one of these things like we have 10 replays, they don't, and all the, you know, advantages that we have as a viewer. They're just not making the calls. We don't know what a catch is. Al Michaels, I don't have the audio of this, but just visibly and audibly frustrated as they're reviewing things and Ed Hockley is explaining things that we already know, the last 20 seconds of the first half took nine minutes because they had to review this and review that. Look, I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about it, but Jalen Ramsey did not catch that ball. That was not an interception. I'm not upset about it because the Bills had their opportunities to win that game and shouldn't have had to rely on that. Not like Nathan Peterman was going to lead him down the field, even if that play didn't count. But it's just continuing in every football game and you just don't want the situation and here's the other thing and this isn't officials but it's a different protocol how does cam newton get back on the field after one play why do we even have concussion protocol why do we have these rules and replay and the amazing thing about this is we wanted to bring replay back i was at the game i was there in 1998 the bills Patriots, Foxborough, the old Foxborough, not the palace they have now, the dump that Foxborough had. And there was a play in the end zone. And Henry Jones was called for a pass interference, and it was one of the most brutally wrong calls I've ever seen. So bad that the Bills refused to stay on the field for the two-point conversion. New England just ran a free play like they were practicing. This is 1998. They didn't have replay in football. Remember, they had it, and they took it away. This was in the 1990s. Here we are. It is the year 2018, and we have HD technology and all these things that are supposed to make our lives easier, yet we can't figure out if it's conclusive. Calvin Benjamin catches a touchdown against the Patriots, but he doesn't, and so many other calls that by now we were supposed to have figured this out. It just makes things worse, and I don't want to be the old man on the porch here on this one, but... It would almost be better if we didn't have replay. That's just a ridiculous notion at this point because you have the technology. You've got to use it to your advantage as best you can. But the NFL has got to take a long, hard look at this in the offseason because nothing is working. All the replays, all the technology, all the advantages, and again, this is a side note, but we'll kind of include this in the conversation of things that they need to review. Their concussion protocol is a joke. How about Tom Savage a couple weeks ago before the regular season ended? And can't look, Cam Newton played great when he came back in, but he almost he literally stumbled walking off the field. And, and how many fingers am I holding up? Great, get back out there. 
You're supposed to have these protocols in place to protect these players, but when you're playing in a, in a league and pride is there and you want to be out there for your teammates and they're willing to take those, those risks, I mean, what, what can you really do? The one game we haven't mentioned yet, how about your boy Sean Payton? Fourth and two at the 50, and he goes for it, and they don't get it. And Carolina's got a shot to win, but the Saints defense, which gambles and sends seven on a blitz and knocks down Cam Newton to to seal that game. But wow, I love coaches that go for it on fourth down. It's one of the things I really like about Dino Babers, as a matter of fact. Thanks, Brent. You're welcome, Coach. He goes for it on fourth down when the situation calls for it, as you should. But wow, <laughs> that spot? Fourth and two, you got the lead, a five-point lead. You you know, you kick the ball away and make Carolina go 80 yards as opposed to from midfield. It worked, and the Saints won. But, you know, look at the teams that won this weekend. Drew Brees, New Orleans, couldn't run the football, makes the plays. Matt Ryan, Atlanta, makes the plays. Marcus Mariota outplays Alex Smith down 21-3. to The one exception to the rule, of course, was the Bills-Jaguars game because both Blake Bortles and Tyrod Taylor stunk. That was a defensive game won by the better defense. All told, pretty good weekend of football. Last night's game was the best one, but what stands out? Again, week after week after week. That's hot. They blew the calls, and these are important calls. And now you're at the point where people are just, you know, Nobody's skating around this anymore. Al Michaels was awesome. He's like, you got to be kidding me. He's literally on the air like, really? Even Jim Nance. Who's more in bed with the NFL than Jim Nance? And he was getting frustrated yesterday watching this whole thing go down. That's just it. It's just frustrating that they account for as much as they do. Speaking of officials, by the way, did you see your boy Teddy TV? Wants to retire? I wrote about this a bit on Syracuse.com today. So we, we discussed this in Hot Takes a bit last week, just to you know go over it again in case you didn't see it. So we all know Teddy TV, right? Ted Valentine, one of the more uh, noted officials in college basketball, which, again, to be fair, Ted Valentine is a good official. He's officiated 10 Final Fours. He's one of the most respected officials in college basketball. But Teddy TV is prone to theatrics. He threw out, you know, Bob Knight that one time, and he's thrown fans out of the game. So what happened last week, North Carolina's playing Florida State. Joel Berry gets held by Florida State. Bad call that they completely botched. Joel Berry walks up to Ted Valentine, who literally turns his back on Joel Berry in just a ridiculous move. So Jay Billis and other people, but Jay Billis, his voice carries a lot of weight, of course, in the college basketball world, calls him out. Now, he didn't say him by name, but we all know who he was talking about. So after the social media backlash, they actually reassigned Ted Valentine. He got taken off some Big Ten games. They're reevaluating some other games that he got assigned to. He tells Seth Davis at The Athletic that he's thinking about retiring. And he cited all the social media backlash and things that happened. And I'm just like, oh, so because you're held accountable for being an ass, you want to retire. 
this is the problem with officials, too, is the entitlement that they have. And they have to be the authorities out there, and they've got to call the rules. They do not have an easy job. We make it seem like this is such an easy job that these guys have. But the best officials are the ones who we don't know their name. There's a reason that through the years we knew names like Tim Higgins and Jim Burr. And again, these guys have ref Final Fours, good officials. But, you know, referees cannot be personalities. You're not there to be the show. Nobody's there to watch you. And Teddy TV never got that memo. So now somebody stands up to him. And because we are in a world of social media and people can hold you accountable for your actions, we don't know what punishment, if any, he got because it was all kept internal. But it amazes me how these guys get held accountable by fans, by coaches, by you know people on social media, whatever the case may be. And now you're going to retire because of that? How about you don't be a jerk? And he was saying, well, I've learned some anger management things, and part of it is to turn your back. and Stop. Joel Berry is a senior, a senior guard at Carolina. That was the most outstanding player of the Final Four last year. You're turning your back on him? Teddy TV, you know what? Maybe it is time you retire, and you will not be missed. On that note, we'll take a break. Back after this, you're on the block. Thank you. Bye-bye.